Gospel of John. 43 weeks we've been uh, working our way through the Gospel of John. So it's taken us this whole year. We've taken a few, few breaks along the way. But uh, here we are. It's kind of like uh, saying goodbye to an old friend. Um, you know, uh, and so it's, it's uh, you know, I hope that today will be a great blessing for you as we just kind of review some of the things that we've learned along the way and take what John has left for us in his gospel uh, to prepare us for our place in God's uh, purpose and plan. Well, um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in both chapter 20 and 21. We're going to look at the last two verses in chapter 20, the last two verses in chapter 21. In your programs this morning, if you got one of those, there's an outline that you can follow along with. And I wanted to again take a moment to just say thank you to Brother Larry Bailey. He has faithfully penned these great companion articles that uh, went along with the sermon theme each week. And uh, sometimes Larry and I were on the same wavelength and sometimes he went one way and I went a different way. But what a blessing it has been. So I'd just like to, uh, why don't you say uh, thank you to Larry for me. Yeah, thank you, Larry. We appreciate uh, you sharing your gift of, of writing. Well, we live in a world full of options, don't we? Lots of options. Take Grocery shopping, for example. If you went to your local Safeway and you walked down any aisle, let's say the breakfast aisle, uh, what would you find? Well, you'd find 101 different versions of cold cereal and 95 hot cereal options, and then there'd be 57 natural organic options and 68 granola or muesli options and 421 cereal options right there in that aisle, not including pancake or waffle mixes or breakfast bars or toaster pastries or breakfast drinks or condiments for your breakfast. Lots of options, right? But which one is best? Which one is best? Which breakfast option is going to give you the very best experience for the most affordable price? Now, hours could be spent and brain cells wasted trying to determine the answer. But then another problem arises because the real answer likely depends on the person you ask, right? Some people will only prefer natural or organic. Some will only like hot. Some will only like cold. And some will only like the ones full of sugar. Some will only like pancakes with syrup. Some will only like waffles, no syrup. We like the breakfast and cereal aisle because it allows us to choose our own path. Is that right? We get to be the masters of our own breakfast experience. And at the end of the day, we all have breakfast, but we all took a slightly different path to get there. Well, unfortunately, spiritual matters often are viewed in much the same way. I want you to listen to just a few varying ideas. The first one is this. There is no one true religion. Each religion has its truths and there are many paths we can choose to take that will lead us to God. All religions must be tolerated for every man must get to heaven in his own way. That is Epictetus. He was a first century Stoic philosopher and a contemporary of some of the early Christian disciples, including the apostle John. So I found his quote very interesting in comparison to John's 
understanding and teaching on this matter. Here's another one. God's greatest truth is that there is not one way only, but many ways home. There are thousands of paths to God and everyone will get you there. Indeed, all paths lead to God. This is because there is no other place to go. Now that is a 21st century philosopher and filmmaker and author, N.D. Walsh. He's the author of the best-selling book series, Conversations with God. And he happens to be a fellow Oregonian and a contemporary of us. And then here's one more. Each person is different, and each one will reach God by his or her own path. That's Paulo Coelho, a 20th century Brazilian, very popular songwriter and author. So truth be told, many of us like the idea of many paths leading to God because we get to be the masters of our own spiritual experience. We get to decide how much access that will allow God into our lives. We get to, to decide to choose a different path. If he gets a little too demanding, we like to keep our options open. Now, this way of thinking sounds nice and, and friendly and inclusive, but it is dangerous because it plays right in to Satan's plan to derail us from thinking that we don't really need Jesus to be saved, that we can be saved on our own terms. Well, as we close up our journey through the Gospel of John, we want to focus on two key summary statements that John makes regarding Jesus and faith and belief and the many paths philosophy. In fact, we could say that these two statements or these two passages from John's writing really encapsulate the entire 21 chapters of John's gospel. The first that we'll look at is John's purpose statement, reminding us of why John wrote this book. And then the second is what I'm calling his concluding statement, which points to the when of God's plan and God's purpose. And so as we consider the variety of philosophies available to us in the breakfast aisle of life, let's also review Jesus' own words. These are words that we've heard and that we've studied over the last year as recorded by the, the uh, Apostle John, but I just want to remind us of them. And, and the first one is in John chapter 6 in verse 35 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, hunger is something that God built into the human body because without food, we will die. But Jesus is not claiming to be any old loaf of bread, is he? Capable of sustaining life. He is claiming to be the bread, the only bread, capable of satisfying the hunger in our hearts. Next, we'll skip ahead to chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Have you ever been in a really dark place, maybe like a dark cave or something like that? Being in total darkness is unnerving. 
Physical darkness, however, is nothing compared to spiritual darkness. And Jesus is not claiming to be a light. He is claiming to be the light. The promise that Jesus makes is that the moment we come to him, when we surrender our lives to him as Lord, that we will never walk in darkness again. That's quite a claim, isn't it? Wow. And here's another one. In John chapter 10, in verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If you remember when we looked at that passage, we talked about how Jesus' listeners would have known exactly what he was claiming. These, these uh, agrarian people raising their sheep, and they understood that when they built the sheepfold, that there was only one way in and out, and that was for the protection of the sheep. There's no back door. There's no side door. Jesus is not claiming to be one door of many. He's claiming to be the door, the only door or gate to salvation. That is quite a, quite a statement, quite narrow and then, yet another, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we talked about Jesus being the road map for us, the way. And he is the truth, not one of many truths which we have to be confused about which one is right or which one is best, but he is the truth. And finally, he is the life. He is the life because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And when we step into his kingdom, we become his children. He provides for us eternal life. And then finally, John chapter 15 and verse 5 we talked about Jesus' words when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is, he is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remember when we talked about this message, I had a great vine up here, didn't I? And even as we were going through the message time, that freshly cut grapevine began to wilt and by the end of the service, you could see a difference because it had been cut off from the source. Vines only produce grapes when they remain connected to the source of life. And the only way to live an abundant and a fruitful life is to be connected to Jesus. He is our only source to life that really matters. So these claims made by Jesus are one of the reasons why some people are either confused by Christianity or just don't like it. And it's because Jesus' invitation allows really no room for that vast aisle of opinions. And so, if we don't understand Jesus' invitation, we might say that that's not very warm, not very friendly, not very inclusive. And yet, it is the warmest, friendliest, most inclusive invitation that exists in this world. And so here's our first summary statement answering that criticism. Jesus is not merely the best option among many. He is the only remedy that God has provided 
for our sin problem. And there is no other way into the presence of God except through him. And so I want to invite you to read with me for a final time together. We've read this particular passage numerous times. John 20, verses 30 and 31. His purpose statement reminding us of the why of that John wrote this gospel. So the words are on the screen. Let's read them together. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. The word of God. So Jesus is the only way provided for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. Yet every believer will have their own unique journey towards him. And yet there is only one path. Many journeys, many experiences, but one path. And so we are left with two options. Number one, to choose the path that Jesus has laid out or to choose a different path. But those other paths will not get us to the same destination because Jesus is not merely the best option among many. He is the only remedy that God has provided for our sin problem. So not only is John's gospel full of signs pointing us toward the path by showing us the how and the why, but next I want to look at this second statement John's concluding statement, which reminds us of the when of God's plan and purposes in creating this very unique path. So this second part, we're calling many other things, many other signs, many other things. So let's read together the very last words of John's gospel in chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hmm. Amen. God's word. Have you ever finished watching a movie or binging a TV series on Netflix or something, or reading a book, and, and then when it was finished, you were just, you were ready for more. You were kind of sad that that was it. Is there more? And so you think, find yourself thinking, I can't wait for the next book, or I, I wonder what's going to happen next season. Well, we just read the last words in the Gospel of John. The last recorded words of John the evangelist. And regardless of how high your spiritual excitement might currently be, I am praying that over the, the course of the next few minutes that you will find yourself wanting more, desiring more. Now, John's gospel, the whole gospel of John, takes up about 30 or so pages in most regular print English translations of the Bible. And throughout his book, 
John is very careful not to draw too much attention to himself. You might remember that we mentioned very early on, John never mentions his name in the gospel. Instead, he refers to us uh, himself in kind of in code language, the one whom Jesus loved or the disciple or, you know, uh, but he never refers to himself uh, by his name. And then we remember that his book has focused upon signs right, that reveal the identity of Jesus. We looked at those just a few moments ago. And then it draws to close with a challenge. And it's a challenge to follow the path and the plan that God has for us. It is a challenge to true commitment to God's plan. Now, because we're not spending a whole lot of time in chapter 21, we've skipped a, a, quite a segment of it. I want to just take a, a few moments to, to just kind of put this last statement in context. So here's what has happened leading up to John's final statement in chapter 21. Jesus has just restored Peter. You might remember that just before Jesus was crucified, that it was Peter who was accused or questioned three different times of being a friend or an associate or a, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And, and presumably, to avoid being arrested himself, what did Peter do? He denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times, just as Jesus had prophesied, predicted that Peter would. But after his resurrection... Jesus comes alongside Peter in an incident which I think should encourage us when we fail. I think this incident should encourage us when we let God or other people down. Because in this encounter on the beach with Jesus, three times Jesus asks Peter if he loved him. And three times, Peter responds to the Lord, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times of failure are replaced by three statements of love from Peter to Jesus. And Jesus' commission to Peter to be a leader and a teacher in the church which will begin to flourish after Jesus ascends to the Father. But then Jesus also informs Peter, by the way, Peter, you're going to die a violent death as a martyr for the cause of Christianity. I just want you to know that. How would you like to have that message? Well, it's within these circumstances, as Peter's walking on the beach and, and, and dialoguing with the Lord and saying, Lord, you know I love you, and Jesus says, you know you're going to die and it's going to be terrible, but that's okay, and it's in that circumstance that Jesus, or that, that Peter sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know who that is, right? In other words, Peter sees his buddy John and armed with the information about his own future, he says to Jesus, Lord, what about him? This is all in chapter 21. Lord, what about him? Now, I don't suppose we've got any inquisitive people like that here today. Sometimes we might even call it nosy, right? I mean, we would never say, hey, hey, what about her? Hey, hey, what about that guy over there? 
But Jesus has just charged Peter with teaching and caring for the early church. And, and he said, you're going to die as a martyr. And so Peter wants to know, oh, if that's going to happen to me, what about John? What's going to happen to John? John, the one whom Jesus entrusted his own mother to. John, the one who would later write this gospel that we've spent so much time studying. John, who would write letters to the churches, which also appear in the New Testament. Lord, asked Peter, Peter, what about him? And Jesus, in essence, says, Peter, mind your own business. <clears throat> mind your own business. It's nothing to do with you. His actual words are this. Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Do you see what I'm talking about here? I mentioned earlier that word commitment. God wants us to be committed to him. Whatever may or may not be going on in the lives of other people around us, who may or may not be committed to him, our focus is for us to may remain committed to him. Our primary commitment is to be to Jesus because he is the Lord of his church. And if people let us down, and sorry to let you know this, but it's gonna happen. People are gonna let us down. If the church lets us down, and I'll just let you know this, the church is gonna let you down at times because it's full of people. Or if people seem to be more successful than us, or if people, some people don't seem to suffer in the same way that we do. What about them, Lord? Why are they so successful or smooth sailing and I'm in a mess? What's going on? Or if people seem to have more abilities or gifts than we do, it doesn't matter. We're called to stay focused on Jesus, Jesus, our commitment is to him. And secondly, our commitment is to be to the truth. We must be committed to Jesus and committed to his truth. John ends his gospel by, by correcting some error, some confused thinking that was going on in his day. Jesus' words about him had led to some people in the church concluding, wrongly I might add, that John would not die. That was a, a legend, John would not die. Uh, in other words, they believed that Jesus had promised to return before John died. And no, John says, Jesus only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? But by the time John writes this gospel, he is advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying he's really old, all right? <laughs> and Peter, by this time, has already been martyred, as Jesus said he would be. And there was, among some people within Christianity, an expectation that since John was now old, and since they were convinced that Jesus had promised to return before John died, that Jesus' return must be imminent. It must be any day because John is an old guy. He's about to keel over any time. Which, friends, is not much different than 
false prophecies and teachings about the return of Jesus that exist in modern day Christianity today. There's all kinds of ideas, some of them false teachings that come from novelists or teachers, televangelists, modern day cults and sects that teach all kinds of strange things about the second coming of Jesus. But what I want us to see from this example is John is committed to the truth. He is committed to Jesus and he is committed to the truth about Jesus. And so must we be. And so when we hear odd things said, you know, you know what I mean. Maybe there's a little red flag. Oh, that seems, I've not heard that before. What's going on with that? When it doesn't just seem to jive just right. When somebody says something about Jesus and his second coming, it is our responsibility to check out what is said against the truth, against God's word, the Bible, for it is the word of God to us. And I'm going to include myself in that. Just because I say it and I'm the pastor doesn't mean that you take it hook, line, and sinker. Check it out. Measure it. Well, information about the end of time or the second coming of Jesus or the melding of current events and biblical prophecy. That, that's a, kind of a hot topic right now, isn't it? Because of what's going on in the Middle East. These all have been rife with misinformation, not just in our day, but as we can see since the time of John. And that is why measuring what we see and hear against God's word is so important. And so my prayer, friends, is that we would be a church that is committed to telling the true story of God, past, present, and future. Now John ends his gospel with this, this statement in verse 25 that we read. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. And then he says, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain all the books that would be written. Now that sounds like, a, oh John, that's hyperbole. That's a, a huge exaggeration, right? But really it's not. And let me tell you why. Do you remember that John began his gospel all the way back in chapter one, in verses one and two, and he began it by saying, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then a, a few verses later, through him all things were made. The word who was with God in the beginning is a person. And then later in verse 14 of chapter one, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word is Jesus. And John begins his gospel by saying, I was there, I saw him. 
I learned from him. I followed him. I saw his glory. And now I'm writing it down so that you too can understand it. Jesus has been active in this world for a long time. In fact, since the beginning of time as we understand it. Now after his death and resurrection, he ascended back into heaven. Sending to every believer the gift of the Holy Spirit to live and to work in us. And so while the central work of Jesus Christ certainly was his three year or so ministry here on this earth and his victory over death on the cross, Jesus has been at work throughout all history. And he is now at work in you and in me. That is our second summary statement that goes with these final two verses. That's why John can say that the whole world could not have room for the books that would be written. It's because the books are still being written in our lives today, person by person. Your story is not over. My story is not over. And God is still working with us on our story. A commitment to Jesus a commitment to the truth about Jesus and to the story of God, past, present, and future. Friends, that is our calling. Well, there's a, a story, perhaps a fable, that is told of a, an individual who was a writer who would go to the beach to do his writing. Before he began his work day, he would go for a walk along the shoreline. And one day, during his daily walk, far down the beach, he saw a person doing what appeared to be joyful dancing along the shore. Twirling about, reaching up and down, smiling to himself, he began to walk faster so that he could catch up with this amazing individual that he observed. And as he got closer, he saw that it was a young woman and that she wasn't dancing. Instead, she was reaching down to pick something up and spinning and then gently throwing it out into the ocean. And so getting even closer, he called out, good morning, what are you doing? And the young woman paused, looked up and replied, throwing starfish into the sea. The writer said, I guess I should have asked why are you throwing starfish into the ocean? The sun is up. The tide is going out. And if I don't throw them in, they'll die, came her reply. The man said, but don't you realize that there are miles and miles of beach and starfish all along it? You can't possibly make a difference. The young woman listened politely and then she bent down and picked up another starfish and spun and threw it into the ocean far past the breaking waves. It made a difference for that one, she said. Friends, I want us to understand that Jesus is all about making a difference. Just as that young woman changed the fate of that one starfish that she could reach, so does Jesus reach out for each of us, even now. And his intent is simple. It is to make a difference for each one that he can touch. John's testimony 
is true. Jesus came into his life and changed him forever, saving him. And now John's desire is that we would read his story and receive it and then do something with it because God's word makes a difference one person at a time. Will you pray with me? Father God, we pray today, Lord, that we would consider what kind of difference that we can make when we encounter you. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. We thank you for the hope that comes from knowing Jesus, a hope that helps us to rise above the circumstances of this world, the disappointments of life, the hardships that we all encounter. Father, thank you that you give us a purpose and a path to walk. And Father, you fill us with a peace, a peace that we can't fully even express in words, but a, a peace that even surpasses our own, own understanding, as your word says, Father. You give us that peace. 